This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, everybody. Happy Father's Day, dads. Thank you so much. I was actually really hoping you would say that to me. Uh, So glad to be with you today. Hey, I don't normally do this, but I got to give a shout out to some special friends. Uh, I have some friends who yesterday got married, and today they're at church. So Caroline and Keith, congratulations. You're our newest newlyweds in the church. So happy for you. Other friends over here, my buddy Billy's getting married. Billy and Allison next week. Dale and Catherine a couple weeks ago. Like, love is in the air. So it's very exciting there. They are all honeymooned up. Good to see you guys. Boy, it is, it's Father's Day. And I want to tell you, Dad, so thankful to have you here. So thankful for the influence you have in our lives. Uh, I know for some of us dads, today's a day of celebrating our dads, celebrating being a dad. Uh, For others of us, I've got a friend who lost a dad this week, and I've got friends whose parents are in the hospital, and it's it's a mixed bag. I recognize that, and I want you to know. uh, I've been praying for you this morning. Wherever you come in on the spectrum, I've been praying for you this morning, and I hope that today is a day of hope and joy, celebration and restoring, depending on where you find yourself on this journey. And I also hope that you got good Father's Day presents. I really do, because that's important on Father's Day. In fact, I feel like I finally arrived as a father this year. I'm very excited. I got another coffee cup, which you can't have too many coffee cups. Very excited about this. But that's not the best set of presents I received. When you hit my age, you start getting really, really good presents from your children. I got this year hair trimmers to keep my head extra clean, which is exciting. And a nose hair trimmer, which... It doesn't get any better than that when your children are looking at you and they say, you know what dad needs this year? A nose hair trimmer. So very excited. I hope you got good presents as well, but really nothing tops that. Let's just be totally honest. It's so, so exciting to be hitting this unique stage in life. So, um, hey, one of the things that I I was recognizing today is that fatherhood, as with all parenting, really is about influence. That the best parents we have are the ones who, who both guide and direct and lead, but those who pour their influence into our lives. And uh, one of the things that we love as a church is we love helping people develop their influence, both in their families, in the church world, in the community, in their jobs. And so one of the things we really invest in as a church is something called the Global Leadership Summit. And the Global Leadership Summit is the largest leadership conference in the world, and we are a video site for it. It takes place in Illinois, but we're a video site out here. It happens in August, and it's all about increasing your influence. And the truth is, every one of us has influence, and every one of us has ways that we could increase and improve our influence. And what I want to do is we're going to start a month of kind of really promoting the Global Leadership Summit because I'd love to see 160, 170 of us from the church here. I'd love to see we have partners from other churches, other organizations, the police department, schools coming. I'd love to see us really pack this place out as we increase our influence because as we learn how to influence more, everybody wins. Everybody wins. Your family wins. Your community wins. The world wins. Your work wins. And what I want to do is I want to show us a quick video uh, kind of highlighting the Global Leadership Summit, introducing us to it, and I'll give you some ways that you can do some next steps with that. So let's go ahead, hit the video team. Here's the thing I love about the Global Leadership Summit. 
we grab the best leaders around the world, and we cross uh, age, race, gender, religious uh, spectrums to find the best influencers. And then we just sit and learn and grow together, and we have fun as a community. If you've never been to a summit here, it is so fun. This whole this whole stage is just one huge screen, and it's like you're in the moment. It is very, very exciting. So inside your programs, uh, you should have a flyer for the summit. It tells you how you can register. There are special dates. There's information in your program about that. We're also going to have a Global Leadership Summit kiosk out in the lobby. You can ask questions after service, talk to the team out there, and get signed up. I would love to have you guys join me for that. It's going to be so, so good. Well, I want to I wanna pray for us as we jump in. I want to pray for you dads specifically uh, as we get ready to have a great, great time together this morning. So would you join me as we pray? Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to gather together. Thank you for the fathers and the father figures that are represented in this room. Thank you for the ways that they have influenced us and continue to walk with you, uh, to look for ways to be in partnership with you, and in the process of that really partner with us as we walk towards you. So God, would today be a day of celebration for those who, uh, who celebrate the joy of being a dad or having a great dad. And I also ask that today would be a day of healing for places of pain, for those of us who have lost uh, a father whom we love deeply, uh, for places of regret that you would bring healing there. Because Jesus, we know that uh, you walk the spectrum of human emotion and that you can partner with us wherever we find ourselves today. So we're asking for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's jump in. Uh, grab this card that says start here. This is your connection card, otherwise known as your all-access pass to new life. So go ahead and get that filled out. This is how we can pray for you, support you, partner with you, plug you into ministry. You're going to want to get this ready. We're going to be passing some baskets at the end of our time together. You can drop this into that basket. You're also going to want your teaching notes because we're jumping into something that even if you're not a note taker, I think today you might want to. It's a little bit technical in the beginning, so it might be helpful just to jot some things down, and then we're going to press into it. We are in the series that we are calling The Contrarian's Guide to Knowing God. We're wrapping up our last two weeks of the series, and here's the thrust of the series. Instead of giving you information and telling you how to, um, how to parent, how to work, how to um, walk with God in relationships, instead of telling you what to do, we're trying to tell you how to do. We're trying to tell you how to engage with God in a way that produces spiritual maturity, spiritual growth in your life. And so uh, this whole thing is just a foundation for a larger conversation that everything we talk about at this church comes out of this foundation. And today we're going to talk about this big word that's thrown around in church circles all the time. And the word is faith. This word is used all over the place. People talk about coming to faith, growing in our faith, being part of a faith community, depending on whether or not you were raised in the church in various uh, faith traditions. You were told that you had to have a certain amount of faith if you wanted God to move on your behalf. And if things didn't work out the way that you hoped they would, well, the question really was, where's your faith? See, this word faith has a lot of baggage around it. And according to the New Testament authors, faith is a big deal. Here's the problem. Faith is one of the more used words, one of the least defined words in, uh, in Christian circles. So what I want to do today is I want to tell you what the New Testament authors say about faith. 
I want to try to define it for us and then give us some handles to it because the New Testament actually says this, and it's in your notes, it's on the screen, and it's in Hebrews chapter 11. It says that without faith, there's that word, it is impossible to please God. Now that should cause us to pause for a second. Say, what is this thing? Because if my wife Maria said to me, Kevin, without faith, it is impossible to please me. You know what I would do next? I figure out what the heck faith is because I want to please my wife. And the author says, without this thing, it's impossible. It's impossible to please God. So what is faith? And I want to warn you, uh, the author of the book of Hebrews gives us a definition of faith, but it's kind of technical. So for the first 15 minutes, I'm going to get a little bit technical, which is where you're going to want your notes. I'm going to try to define this word, this thing that we know of as faith. And then I'm going to talk with us about how it actually plays out in the lives of real people. We're going to move to the book of Acts, which is the biography of these early faith communities that started to sprout up after Jesus lived, died, and rose again. And they have a really interesting picture of what faith actually looks like that is completely opposite of how you and I have probably heard faith defined. So here's the definition of faith from Hebrews chapter 11. It says, now faith— It's confidence in what we hope for and assurance in what we do not see. How many of you have heard that before? You can raise your hand. I'm not going to call on you. Okay. Yeah. A lot of us have heard it. How many of you could say, I know exactly what that means? Uh, We got one. We got, hey, we got two. We'll see. We'll see. I'm not going to call you out if you're wrong, but we'll see. I want to talk about what faith actually means is, and how much of it we actually have to have to please God. Because without it, we can't. So, so you got to be asking yourself, well, do I have it? How much of it do I have to have? How can I actually please God with it? So here's what faith is. And I'm warning you, we're going to get a little technical here, but if you've been thinking, boy, Kevin, I want to get like into the, I want to get technical into the weeds. You're welcome. This is for you. Okay. Here's what faith is. Faith, here's the definition of the word faith. Faith actually is a conviction. And this is the New Testament and also the ancient understanding of faith. Conviction about the truth of anything. It wasn't primarily a religious word. It was uh, just a conviction about truth. So if you have faith in, let's say, gravity, you believe that gravity exists. It is conviction. I have faith that gravity exists. Now, the author of Hebrews says that there's a specific type of faith we're talking about. It is faith that Jesus actually is the Son of God, and that through Jesus, God did something unique in all human history, that through Jesus, God actually is restoring not just people, but the entire world back to God's self. But faith in and of itself simply means conviction about truth. So faith is the confidence. That word confidence literally means the foundation in this context. So if we have a a conviction about gravity, it leads us to a confidence or a foundation. The foundation is this. If I have a conviction that gravity exists, then I have a foundation that says, well, I guess I can walk around without tying myself to the ground because I'm just, I'm, I'm assuming that this foundation will hold up over time. And the third word I want to talk about is the word assurance. Assurance literally means a testing that leads us to evidence. So back to gravity. If I believe or have a conviction that gravity exists, 
that lays a foundation for my worldview. I can walk around without having my gravity boots on, and then I can test it. And that's what we do every day. We test gravity. And the more we test it, the more we realize, oh, gravity does exist 24 hours a day, not just 23 and a half hours a day. The more you walk around, the more you realize, I am not actually floating away right now. And it gives us evidence that we can trust gravity. Here's how this plays out with God. Faith is this conviction about the truth that God exists, that through Jesus, God is doing something new, that God is restoring people to himself and actually bringing the whole world to rights, which lays a foundation for our worldview, which then gives us the freedom to actually test, experiment with God. And as we test and experiment with God, it actually leads to evidence that God really is who God says he is. So I've written out my own definition. It's a little clunky, but I think it could be helpful in giving us some handles. Faith defined is a conviction about God that lays a foundation for my life and gives me the courage to experiment with God even before I know the outcome. Because if you already know the outcome, it's no longer faith. Faith is a conviction and a worldview that says God is at work and God will ultimately work it out. Now, he may work it out in this world, or he may work it out in eternity, but God's at work, and he'll work it out. See, faith does not eliminate fear. Oftentimes, we see faith and fear as counterpoints. Faith does not eliminate fear. Faith is not even the absence of fear, and it does not guarantee an outcome. Faith simply trusts God enough to try. Just trusts enough to try. How many of you love flying? Anybody? Let's try this again. How many of you hate flying? Scared of flying? Pretty sure at some point in there, either um, some sort of sickness in this tube is going to take you, or it's going to go down in a flame. Who's leaving for their honeymoon tomorrow? Hey. Do you love it or do you hate it? Hate it. You'll make it. Let's assume that Keith, your new husband, loves flying. Do you love flying, Keith? Keith loves flying. Caroline is terrified of flying. Let's put these two into a test case, shall we? This is what happens when you show up at church. So Keith loves flying. And tomorrow, Keith's going to get to the airport, super excited, happy, sipping his mocha, living the dream, saunter onto the airplane, loves flying. Buckle in, I guess so, but really, what's the point? It's so safe. Now, Caroline, on the other hand is going to be grabbing Keith's arm, terrified as she walks down the thing. Keith's going to be what young married guys do mistakenly. Keith's going to get to the edge where the little tube and the plane connect and shake it because he thinks that's funny. (laughs) Caroline is going to freak out and slap him and we'll have our first fight. But let's just assume for a second, Caroline gets onto the plane, she straps in, she grabs a second seatbelt, she wraps the neck pillow, and she gets to Cabo. Here's the question. Who had more faith, Keith or Caroline? It's a trick question. They both have the same amount of faith. They both have enough confidence to at least try. And here's the thing about Keith and Caroline. It doesn't really matter 
what gets them onto the plank? Keith saunters on. Caroline is white-knuckling it. Keith and Caroline will both ultimately get to the same destination because they both had enough faith to get onto the plank. Now, this is, this is an interesting thought about faith because usually we think, I, must, I have to have more faith. God, give me more faith. God, increase my faith. But the idea of faith is actually God-honoring faith is actually trusting God enough to try, even when you're not guaranteed an outcome. It's trusting that God is ultimately at work, and he'll either work it out here, and I'm trusting he will, Keith and Caroline, he will get you to Cabo, that he'll work it out here, or he will ultimately work things out in eternity. That God's at work, and he will work it out. You can have God-honoring faith and be optimistic glass is half full, everything's going to be great. But you can actually also have God-honoring faith and be pessimistic. I'm pretty sure the plane is going down, and we're all going to, you know, sorry, Caroline, that's what you get for coming to church today. Congratulations. No, here's the thing. You'll have more friends if you're optimistic. But this isn't a friendship sermon. But I'm just telling you, you'll have more friends if you're optimistic. That's just free. Write it down. Like nobody, but, but it is not the definition of faith. So here's the thing. Some of you showed up to church today. Sure that God is going to do everything you want him to do in your life. Some of you showed up to church today wondering if God's even there. But you all showed up. And that is enough faith for God to move. That's the crazy thing about faith. I want to talk about a a story in the book of Acts. And this story is so great because it's so counter to everything we ever thought about faith. It's about these people who we would say, if we read it without having this conversation, would say they had no faith at all. And yet, they seem to have God-honoring faith in the process. Now, here's the backstory. The book of Acts is all about these journeys of largely a guy named Paul who went around the ancient world planting churches, and then it just tells the stories of these various churches, what's going on in the churches, how they're raising up, how they're growing, trouble, things they're trying to figure out, because anytime you get a couple of us together, there's always a little bit of trouble. So how they figure it out, how they forgive each other, how they work together. And in the midst of this story— James, one of Jesus' followers, a leader in the church, gets arrested by a guy named Herod, and he gets put to death, and persecution starts to come up around the church. And then a little bit later, Peter, who was one of Jesus' best friends, arguably his best friend, gets arrested by the same guy and thrown in jail. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. It's in the book of Acts. It should be up here on your screens. It says in verse 5, Peter was kept in prison, and the church, this gathering, was praying for him. And it's safe to assume that Peter was also praying for himself, because his friend James had just been killed by the same guy who was now imprisoning him. Verse 6 says this, The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. He was bound with chains to each of the soldiers. And sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, the angel said, get up. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. And the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. 
And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around yourself and follow me, the angel told him. Verse 9, Peter followed him out of prison. Here's the best part. He had no idea that what the angel was doing was actually happening. He thought it was a vision. He thought he was having a dream. But he thinks in this midst of this dream, I'm just going to go. God sends an angel to rescue him. Peter's been praying for rescue, and Peter doesn't believe it's happening. So what? This has to be a dream. This doesn't actually happen in real life. Angels don't just show up, knock chains off, and walk me out. Peter thinks it must be a dream. I must be dreaming about heaven. Maybe I'm already dead, but it gets better. So Peter and this angel pass the first and the second guards and come to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them by itself, and they walked right through. And when they had walked the length of one full street, so they're out of prison, they're a street down. The angel left him. Then Peter came to himself. He said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent an angel to rescue me from Herod's clutches. For everything the Jewish people were hoping for has happened. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, because that's where the church was praying for him. And Peter knocked on the door outside of the gate. And his poor servant named Rhoda goes to answer the door. And Peter's like, let me in. It's Peter. Hey, hey, I'm outside. Let me in. And she recognized his voice. And she was so overjoyed, she left the gate shut and ran back inside. And Peter's standing outside like Fred Flintstone. Anybody? That just, taking it back. I got a nose hair trimmer. I'm kicking it old school. Ran back inside, exclaiming, Peter's at the door. And what did these faithful Jesus followers who were praying for release say to her? You are out of your ever-loving minds. She kept insisting. They said, well, it must be his, it must be his angel. This poor girl's so excited. She gets to the door. She hears that it's Peter. She runs away. She leaves him standing outside. At this point, Peter's like, I don't want to test God anymore. Somebody let me in. She goes to her friends who are in the middle of a prayer meeting. God, please release Peter. God, please release Peter. Jesus, let Peter out. She says, you guys, God released Peter. And what do they say? You're nuts. You are nuts. God, God does not release people from prison. That's what they're saying. She's like, no, no. God released Peter. We prayed. God moved. Peter's free. And they say, it must be his ghost. He must have been killed. This is a story of great faith. But not the kind of faith we usually think about. These people have faith based on our definition. They believe that God is doing something new in Jesus. They believe that God is at work in the world, at work in their lives. It lays the foundation for their lives. They believe that God is at work and he will ultimately work things out, either in this world or in eternity. God is working. And so what do they do? They pray. Do they expect God to free him based on their response? No. They actually don't. Now, some of us were raised in churches where we would say that kind of 
That kind of prayer is weak and ineffectual. You have to have faith that God will do what you ask him to do. And yet, these committed Jesus followers trust God enough to try. They think maybe there's a 5% chance God will answer my prayers, but you know what? I trust God enough that I'm going to pray anyway. You ever had one of those times? Or you're throwing up a Hail Mary prayer and you're saying, God, if you can do anything, do this. And somewhere down deep, you think, I don't even know if God can or will. And some of us get down on ourselves and we think, well, I must not have faith. The truth is, in that moment, you are exercising great faith because you are, you're trusting God enough to try even when it looks hopeless. Peter keeps knocking on the door in verse 16. And when they finally opened it, they saw him and they were astonished. That word astonished literally means they almost fell over. That's what it means. They were beside themselves. They were knocked off balance. They opened the door. There's Peter. They fall over. They're so amazed. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, what does it look like for me? In the context of this whole journey we've been on and engaging with God, what does it look like for us to have this kind of faith? A kind of faith that trusts enough to try. I want to go back to our chart that we've been kind of playing around with through this entire series. It's in your notes. I think it's up on the screen. And it's in your notes. Sure enough, look at that. So we've talked about this chart where God gives his thoughts. And on the other side of the chart, we obey. And I've said everything that happens in between God's thoughts and our obedience is not disobedience. Everything that happens in between God's thoughts and us actually obeying is engagement with God is where the maturity happens. It's the secret sauce to spiritual growth. So God gives his thoughts. I want you to pray, to pray, to ask. Justin just talked about that. Your heavenly father loves to give good gifts. So God says pray. And we get into a situation where tragedy strikes or something happens or kids are going off the rails, my marriage, whatever. And we think to ourselves, well, I don't know if God can do anything. And God, I'm actually angry at you. He says, do you, do you have enough faith to even whisper a quiet prayer? Because even whispering that prayer, you don't have to have 100% certainty. Faith is not certainty that it's going to turn out the way I'm asking God to or telling God it should. Faith is trusting God enough to try in this moment. And this whole process has been about what does it look like to have faith? To get to an area of your life where you say, God, I don't understand why you're saying that. I don't agree with it. I'm terrified to do it. And then to get to that last part where we have our two beakers, and that's where we are today, to simply experiment with him. Simply ask him. Maybe today you have a, a, a question in your life. And you've been terrified to ask God. I like to picture our minds as a bunch of rooms. And over the course of following God, we unlock various doors to God. We say, God, I trust you enough to open up this door. You can go in there. But you can't go in my closet yet. There's too many skeletons in there. But then God shows himself faithful in the first door. So we say, I'm going to trust you a little more. God, I'm going to open up that closet with the skeletons in it. And I'm going to let you in. And we're going to talk about it. And then we say to God, okay, you didn't... You didn't 
like shoot lightning bolts down at me when I opened up the skeleton closet. So God, you say this thing about generosity and, and how God, how I can't serve you and money at the same time, how they compete for the same place in my life. But God, money's protected me for so long. Money has taken care of me for so long. Money brings me joy. But God, you invite me to put you in the place of that. And so we open up the door to the vault of our life that has the money in it. We say, God, I'm going to trust you enough to let you in to have conversations with me about my finances. Maybe you get into marriage. I was talking to Maria last night on on the way home from that wedding. I love weddings. I love everything about weddings. I love officiating weddings. It's so fun. Uh, I love dancing at weddings. I, oh man, I got the whip nene on so, so hard last night. It was amazing. It was, I learned some new like line dance to house music last night. It was awesome. It was awesome. And then Footloose came on. You better believe I popped the collar and opened it up. It's on video. That's exciting. Throw that up on church family. All right. I love weddings. That's all I mean to say. And uh, I was driving home last night with Maria, and, and I said this. You know what I love about marriage? Is that marriages, some are easy and some are hard. That's just the truth of it. But every marriage can be good. Here's why. Because an easy marriage is determined largely by who you choose. A good marriage is determined largely by who you choose to become. That's good. You might want to write that down. Uh, just think about that for a second. So you get into a marriage, and every marriage can be good, but you get into a marriage, and five years in, it's not easy anymore. It's just not easy. The question becomes, God, do I have enough faith to, to try to stick when it'd be easier to run? Do I have enough faith to try to forgive when it'd be easier to close the door, to draw a line, to push them out? This is faith. It's not a guarantee that marriage is going to be perfect. It's simply trusting God enough to try in the process. And I love it. I was talking to a man outside earlier today. He's having a rough go, living on the streets, charging his phone outside of the building. I showed up. He's there. We start chatting. He said, the hard part is, he says, Kevin, um, I know I'm not the sum and total of that thing that landed me in prison. I know I'm not. But everyone around me seems to think I am. I said, yeah, that is hard. Sometimes faith is not listening to the voices who say you are the sum and total of your worst choices. But listening to the voice of God who says, I actually see you as my child, dearly loved. And I actually sit with you in your pain of that choice and we sit here together and we look at it and we grieve together over the pain of that choice and now we walk together to a better future. This is what faith looks like. It's not some magic formula that I just have to have enough so that God will answer. You already have enough. You're here. Faith doesn't, it doesn't guarantee an outcome. I like the way the author of Hebrews said it. He said, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Did you notice English teachers, English majors, that that's a double negative? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, you cannot please God. Does that mean, that's what this, this is what this means, I'm told. If I'm wrong, blame my English teachers from high school. That means that the opposite is also true. With a little bit of faith, it is possible to please God. And here's the cool thing. Being here communicates that you have a little bit of faith. 
I was meeting with my buddy Gordon. We were getting coffee a little while ago, and I was telling him about this message I was going to preach. And he said, he said, I love what Psalm 34 says. Psalm 34 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes shelter in him. Faith is about tasting and seeing. And then as we taste and see, as we trust enough to try, we get evidence that God actually is good. That it actually is good to be with him and to rest with him. That as we take steps of faith, little steps, that God shows his goodness to us and increases our faith and gives us more evidence that we can trust him more. And the process of spiritual maturity is a process of continually trusting God a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And God's showing that he's going to be faithful through the ups and downs, the ins and outs. Now, I don't have a lot of application points for you because in a room this size, there are hundreds of next steps. Faith for you today could be could be calling your dad, saying, hey, I know our relationship's been tough. I want you to know. Here's one thing I appreciate about you. Beginning that process. That's what faith might be for you. It might be forgiving someone. Faith might be opening up one of those rooms of your life, saying, God, I'm going to let you come in, but tread lightly. I mean, let's talk about this. Faith could mean God's been stirring something in you vocationally, and it's time to go ahead and take that next step. Faith could mean a hundred different things to a hundred different people. I wonder what your step is today. For some of you, you were brought here today. Someone invited you to come. And for you, faith could mean taking that first step to trust Jesus. That you're not yet a follower of God. That you come, you listen, you hear, you enjoy the music, you're somewhat amused and engaged with the message but you've never said, God, I'm going to actually trust you with my life. Because you assume that to trust God with your life means that you have to have it all figured out. It doesn't. It means you trust enough to try. Maybe for you today, today's the day that you would say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to give my life over to you and allow you to continue to form and shape and guide me. If that's you, I want to give you a chance to do that right now. So would you join me? Let's pray together. Let's close our time in prayer. Lord, thank you that we don't have to um, strive for some magical, mystical thing called faith. Thank you, God, that simply by coming here, putting ourselves in a place where we can engage with you, that we are expressing our faith, that we are trusting enough to try. And in a room this size, our next step of trust looks vastly different. So Holy Spirit, you tell us that you actually live in us, that you know us and that you you speak to us and guide us. So in this moment, would you be showing each of us what our next step might be in trusting you a little more fully, trusting you enough to try? And friend, if you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, today could be a day that you take that step of faith. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have it all figured out. Here's what you have to know. God loves you. 
God sees you. God knows where you were last month, last week, last night. He knows what you're thinking right now. God gave himself so that you could so that you could be forgiven and experience life change and transformation in relationship with him. And he's inviting you back into the family, into the family of God. And if that's you, if you're ready to make that decision today, you can repeat this simple prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I want to have a relationship with you. I believe that you gave your life to pay the penalty for my sin. And I want to experience your healing your forgiveness. So would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Would you show me what it looks like to walk in partnership with you? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.